Welcome to The Markets. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, Dateline Chicago, Friday, July 19, as we look at another always interesting week in the marketplace. Wall Street, we've got The question, will there be an interest rate cut at the end of the month, and how big? And then, of course, in the agricultural community, any progress on the China-U.S. trade situation? Well, we'll get to that and more, and Max will be talking to Dale Durkholz, who will be our market analyst, coming up here in just a few minutes. But let's look at what happened today on Wall Street. The indices traded higher much of the day and then turned lower following a report that the Federal Reserve plans to cut interest rates by only a quarter percentage point at the end of the month and not a half a percentage point. But after half a century of covering markets, I've learned that probably 60% of the trade takes place because of rumors rather than fact. I don't know where the comment on the rate cut at a quarter percent originated, but that's what traders worked on today. And of course, we really won't know until July 30 and 31. But let's look at the numbers for the day and for the week. The Dow down 67 points, ending the day and the week at 27,155. The S&P 500 down 18 points, ending at 2976. And the NASDAQ down 59 points, closing the week at 8147. Now, for the week, the S&P fell one and a quarter percent. The Dow lost about uh, a little more than half a percent, and the NASDAQ gave up one and one-fifth percent in total value for the week. But now, oh, we'll take a look at gold as well, because gold slipped from a six-year top today, thanks to profit-taking. Still up for the week, however, Gold fell over 1% as the dollar firmed and investors took profits after prices briefly surpassed $1,450 an ounce to hit a new six-year peak thanks to the dovish signals from the U.S. Federal Reserve. So uh, it's going to be two truckloads of earnings report next week. So uh, let's take time to look at some of the highlights of the earnings report that we'll be getting next week. And as I said, it is a truckload. We'll start on Monday. Halliburton Company is expected to fall in the second quarter profit on lower demand for its equipment and services as oil producers rein in their spending and drill less. Whirlpool Corporation expected to report higher second quarter earnings Monday as the home appliance maker tries to offset higher steel and aluminum costs with price increases and cost control. 
Uh, before we look at more of the earnings reports, let's look at some of the government reports. Gross domestic product lightly went up 1.8% in the second quarter. That is what we expect the Commerce Department to say in its advanced GDP report scheduled for release Friday of this week. On Thursday, the Commerce Department expected to say that overall orders for durable goods edged up seven-tenths of a percent in June after May's decline of one and a third percent. Also on Thursday, the Labor Department is scheduled to report initial claims for state unemployment benefits, and they're looking for a number of 217,000 for the week ended July 20th. Now, some of the earnings reports. Google parent Alphabet expected to post an increase in second quarter revenue on Thursday as it benefits from higher ad sales as well as strong contributions from its other businesses like YouTube, Play, Cloud, and its hardware initiatives. Amazon.com expected to post an increase in second quarter revenue on Thursday as the world's biggest online retailer continues to benefit from soaring demand for its cloud and advertising businesses and a surge in online shopping. Facebook expected to post an increase in second quarter revenue Wednesday as the world's largest social network continues to see a steady increase in its advertising business despite concerns that cloud its privacy and data protection standards. And investors will be on the lookout for any new comments on user privacy across its platform. Twitter is scheduled to report an increase in second quarter revenue boosted by growth in its advertising business. Boeing Company in the news this week because of the tax write-down. Pretty big loss, but not as big as investors expected, apparently, because Boeing was one of the very strong stocks today. But uh, Boeing Company expected to report lower second quarter profit and revenue, of course, hurt by the grounding of its best-selling 737 MAX aircraft following the two deadly crashes. Tesla is expected to post a rise in its second quarter revenue on Wednesday, powered by a record number of deliveries in the quarter. Ford Motor Company will report second quarter earnings on Wednesday, and the market will be watching to see how the company's restructuring is faring and falling U.S. and Chinese new vehicle sales. And that is also being challenged. And uh, Ford sales in the United States, its most profitable market, were down more than 3% first half of 2019. Caterpillar will release its second quarter results before market hours on Wednesday. The heavy-duty equipment maker expected to report higher quarterly results. United Technologies Corporation will report an increase in second quarter profit and revenue on Tuesday, according to analysts, helped by higher demand for aircraft parts and spares 
and investors will look for an update on the announced merger with weapons maker Raytheon Company, which will create the world's second biggest aero and defense company by sales. Separately on the same day, Lockheed Martin Corporation expected to report a higher second quarter profit and revenue, helped by an increase in sales of its F-35 jet fighters. General Dynamics Corporation expected to post an increase in revenue for the second quarter as the U.S. defense contractor benefits from strong demand for its Gulfstream business jets. Visa slated to report its third quarter results Tuesday. Company expected to post an increase in quarterly profit helped by higher customer spending. Then there's Harley-Davidson, expected to report lower quarterly earnings on Tuesday, hurt by the higher tariff costs as well as a continued slide in sales in the United States. Faced with these headwinds, the company is trying to grow its customer base through rider academies and higher marketing spending. Investors will look for guidance on the potential impact of Harley's strategy on profitability. Then there's McDonald's Corporation, expected to post an increase in second quarter profit and comparable store sales on Friday as its low-price value meals drew in more customers. McDonald's also making technology-driven investments to improve ordering and delivery, But McDonald's international business expected to face Forex and and macro headwinds on Tuesday. Chipotle Mexican Grill expected to report higher second quarter sales. Starbucks expected to post an increase in third quarter same-store sales on Thursday. AT&T expected to post an increase in second quarter revenue on Wednesday. Investors will be on the lookout for post-paid phone subscribers, additional additions and losses, satellite TV losses, and revenue from Warner Media. Bio, I told you we had a truckload of these earnings reports, and Biogen expected to report an increase in second quarter profit on Tuesday on the strength of its multiple sclerosis franchise and Spinraza. Investors will watch out for commentary on the company's strategy after its Alzheimer's trial failures and updates on its pipeline as its biggest products now face competition. Anthem will report second quarter results Wednesday, expected to provide updates on the progress of its plan to transition customers to its revamped pharmacy benefits business. Then there's Coca-Cola on the list for next week. Coca-Cola expected to report an increase in second quarter sales because of higher demand for its zero-calorie drink Coke Zero. Intel Corporation expected to report a drop in second quarter revenue on Thursday, hurt by sluggish demand for its data center and modern and modem chips. United Parcel Service, UPS, expected to report lower second quarter earnings per share on Wednesday due to a global trade cooldown. 
Hilton Worldwide Holdings expected to report an increase in second quarter revenue and profit on Wednesday. Toymaker Hasbro expected to report an increase in second quarter sales and profit on Tuesday. And then on Thursday, its rival Mattel expected to report a narrower loss in the second quarter, boosted by sales of toys based on the new Toy Story movie and the hugely popular Korean boy band. 3M Company expected to report lower second quarter profit and revenue on Thursday. Travelers Companies will be reporting second quarter earnings on Tuesday. And Pulte Group expected to post a decline in second quarter profit in revenue on Tuesday, thanks to higher raw material costs that could dent margins for the U.S. home builder. Well, there's more that we could talk about, but I'll tell you, you'll have enough uh, to look at as you check earnings reports that are on the schedule for next week. So what about agriculture? Well, Max Armstrong is standing by in the studio. He'll be talking to market analyst Dale Durkos when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-13. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. It's good to see an old friend in the studio. We'll look at the business card and we see the same name but a different affiliation. Grain Cycles. The firm, the consultant is none other than Dale Durkholz. Yeah, I uh, officially retired from corporate life back in the middle of June and uh, using Grain Cycles. It's an old handle I'd used on Twitter and uh, right now I'm in the process of setting up a blog on WordPress under the same name as well. So going to continue to do consulting, do some speaking, whatever the case. So folks would follow you, best follow you through Twitter then. Uh, They can go to Twitter, but shortly they can go over to the blog on WordPress. There will be a link from Twitter back to WordPress anyway. That's what I figured. Well, now that we have that out of the way, let's talk about what uh, the markets are looking at here. We sure don't hear much about China anymore, do we? Markets are not at all interested, it appears, right now. We've gotten tired of the topic. The markets are more interested in China, you might think, but it's really on a different twist. You know, the whole trade issue has gone to the background. I think people finally got into the mode that, you know, this is going to be a long-term process to get resolved and this isn't going to unfold rather quickly after everything broke down last spring. But I think the big issue with China right now really has to do with African swine fever and understanding that, the impact it's going to have on their meat demand, the impact it's going to have on their meat imports and what residually that means to oilseed demand in other places to the world to feed livestock that it's going to end up producing meat to ship to China. So it's a a lot different picture. So the demand for grains will still be there. The demand for soybeans will still be there, but it will be a little more spread out in the world, you're saying. Yeah, I think that's really the key. And, you know, it really comes back into the game game and the insight here of trying to understand African swine fever and what impact it is going to have on changing world trade flows. You know, because the situation in China, because of the nature of their pork industry per se, still having a lot of small producers involved in it, 
means that this may be a process that unfolds for quite a long time. And the example I give people, it took Spain and Portugal 30 years to eradicate African swine fever. I mean, there's been talk here that this is a five-year thing, that maybe they'll be rebuilding in five years in China. You you question that. Well, they could restart to rebuild hog herds, but the question becomes, you know, how successful are it going to be? Because you have to put a lot of uh, restrictions in place to maintain your environment, to keep your, your own production facility somewhat clean so that you don't keep re-exposing yourself to it at this point in time. So that's really an unknown, especially with a country like China that has an industry that doesn't have the environmental standards even like we do and, and the controls like we have in the major hog producing units here in the U.S. What will those backyard uh, pork producers in China be doing in the interim? Will they shift into something else? That we don't know at this point. That's going to be an interesting twist. The other twist, China's always been a big hog producer, a big pork consumer. Do we see their taste change? Do they go and rotate away from pork and start consuming more chicken, maybe even more beef? So there's a lot of moving parts to this whole situation in China. When does that near-term hole in protein uh, really show up in China. Are we just weeks away from that? I've heard a lot of people talking about August. What's your feeling? On you know, that? That, that's that's really one thing that a lot of people are really trying to look at. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've had a lot of hogs slaughtered so over in China, so we've had a lot of this meat end up going through their, their retail system, so to speak. But the other thing that really is a little bit more cloudy in China is how much pork or other meats do they have in storage at this point? You know, we've had a lot of stories about containers of meat being shipped to China and those containers not coming back. And what's happened is those containers have been used as a storage unit. So with this at this point in time, we really don't have a good feel for how much meat is in storage and what that means. But I think we're probably weeks, maybe two, three months away. And that's really the key. You know, every month people look at the, um, the, the soybean import numbers in China. I think the key is start watching those meat import numbers and they come out at the same time. Did the U.S. pork industry jump the gun a little bit here? We're, we're seeing uh, significantly higher production, uh, higher than the industry had been expecting, at least the yeah, analysts had expected. Well, in one sense, yeah, maybe because we had that big surge in prices, you know, back late winter and into the beginning of spring, which we fell off of quite hard. But the other ingredient there is the economics of hog production was so good. So why would you not be expanding, especially when you looked at those high-priced fall-winter hog futures and, and we had cheap grain at the time? You could lock in your production all the way out into early 2020 at profitable levels. So, yeah, they may have jumped the gun. Yeah, we're paying the price for it or have a little bit here, and we may still a little bit into the fall. But, you know, again, you go back and things will find a balance. The question is how much pork will China buy from the U.S.? And we always have to remember, today there's still a 62% tariff on U.S. pork into China. Speaking of locking in 2020 production, as you referred to it there, and shifting commodities a little bit, and the grains, how have producers done at that? Uh, 2020 per se, I don't know that a lot of people have really looked at it. I think people have kind of dabbled in it a little bit. I don't think aggressively. I think people are still in the mode of trying to figure out what to do with the 19 crop. And some of the 18 crop. Yeah, I was going to say, if you go out to the eastern corn belt in particular, or if you go out to South Dakota, where 18 corn became 19 corn because they didn't get a lot of acres in the ground. But, you know, I don't think there's been a lot of focus. I think more it's been really the attention on the 19. What's a good price? 
when do I sell it? How do I manage this? What really is the picture? And we still don't know. Hearkening back to rallies of the past, and there is such a tendency to go back to those analogous years. We want to talk about years when there has been a market rally. We want to talk about 83, 88, and so on. This rally has had a very, very different feel to it, hasn't it? I mean, we haven't seen an upper limit move followed by an upper limit move followed by an upper limit move, as was the case in some of those drought weather markets. You know, the the, the year that I keep going back to I, that I think still is real important, and there's been a lot of lessons, and what's happened here so far this summer hasn't been a surprise, was 93. Right. Because we had the flood. It came a month later, but you had a similar environment. But in 93, we had a big surge. Markets peaked out when the weather peaked out around the first part of July, and they fell hard into the latter part of July. But the point is, with the corn, we actually put our high in in January of 94. It was a grinder all the way through the fall, and I think that's still a a situation that might unfold going forward. Beans are going to be a little bit different story, I think, they were back in 93. But I think with corn, we we really don't have a good feel for acreage yet, and we really – we've had a lot of people out here putting some numbers on yield. They're trying to put on it, and I'm going, don't get ahead of the game because we've still got a whole growing season to go yet. Well, that reference to back in 94, was that after the final production numbers for 93 came in in, the, in that January report? That actually came with the January report. I don't remember if it was the day of, day after, you know, but somewhere within a real tight time frame of the January 94 report. But if you if you go back and you look at the corn back in uh, uh, 1993, I think the USDA on their Projected yield in May was like 122. They dropped it down to 118 for June and July. The first actual production report in August was 116. We ended up, it was either at 101, 102 at the end. So it was this realization through the fall harvest itself, the crop isn't there. And I think that's what we got to kind of think about going forward. This time around, USDA didn't hesitate to lop off 10 bushels off of that corn yield with the, the, uh, assumptions plugged in in June, they were a little more cautious then with the soybeans taking off a bushel in July, correct? Uh, Yeah, they took off a bushel in July. And I think it was really just the acknowledgement there, you know, corn, we knew we got it in the ground late. Corn, we knew we really had shortened up the growing season. And we knew that uh, coming out of the ground, we weren't going to emerge real fast nor, you know, get ahead of the game very quickly. With beans, we still weren't really late, so you still had potential for a good crop. And, you know, starting where they did at 49 and a half, you know, then with the realization of the planting problems as we went through June, I think that's why they dropped another bushel off. But I'd be hesitant going much lower at this point. But they didn't jump right in and change acreage. Uh, that's <laughs> that's really a long story. You know, I mean, when you look at the USD, and we've got to understand the people that put together the supply demands and the people that actually do the estimating national ag statistics are two different groups. Right. Um, you know, they did cut corn acreage in June. They got burnt by it because, you know, we ended up with the measurement uh, on the June 28 report, agree or disagree, that said farmers still intended to plant a lot of corn and what a lot of people forgot about those price ratios between corn and beans and those places where corn planting was going okay, farmers are going, you know, these other people are really having a tr- problem. And so they kept planting corn. And so we we probably ended up with more acres than 
than people felt back in June itself, although I think the 91.7 is probably still going to come down. In the minds of producers, uh, the credibility of USDA took a hit there. A lot of complaining about it. Well, we saw that in the social media anyway. When, 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 you, when you look at USDA, though, especially when you look at National Ag Statistics, the, guy that's, the group that puts out hard estimates, guess where their input comes from? Farmers. So farmers only have to go up and look in the mirror and go, hmm, gee, what did I do here? Because that's really the basis for all their estimating process. You know, WASD, they were basically just using models based on historical data. And so that's a little bit different of a game and really isn't hard evidence in the field versus NAS. They actually measure hard evidence coming from the country. But the market sure places a lot of emphasis on those WASD numbers, even though those are assumptions that are plugged in there. And I think that's what people need to do. They need to be a little bit more careful, a little bit more realistic, you know, that those really are estimates, you know, and they're based upon models, whether you look at the supply side or the demand side, either one. You know, you got some hard evidence in there, but it's not like what the guys at NAS do that gave us the acreage report at the end of June or will start giving us the production reports because they actually work with data coming from the producer or the field. Pollination of the corn crop. That's what we always watch so closely in determining the corn yield. When is the bulk of the pollination on this 2019 corn crop? Which will be the most critical 10 to 14 day period for this crop? Oh, the next month. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's truth, you know, because it you is know, hard you, to nail you, down, though, isn't it? It, it is, you know, and, but you do hit on a key valid point at this juncture. You know, I mean, we get the weekly reports that come out every Monday, have crop condition and crop progress. People are looking at the condition. I think still too much. I think this year you got to be careful because the, the most important aspect of the crop, corn or beans, either one, is the progress and where we're at. Because with corn, we were 17% pollinated on the one we had last Monday. That's about two weeks behind normal. So what you're doing here, if you have a normal fall, is that you're compressing the time you can put kernels in the year or fill kernels. So we really need to pay more attention to the progress numbers, I think, this year than we do the condition ratings. How much is hanging out there in question in terms of getting it to maturity on, on the corn crop? What, have you been able to, to get your arms around what percentage of this corn crop is really going to be in jeopardy of finishing? I think a lot of it is. But again, that goes back into a normal year. Uh, a lot of people are going, what if we have an early frost? And I'm going, yeah, I don't want to play that game because early frosts tend to happen more when we have dry soils. And this year we don't have dry soils in a, in a major way anyway, although we are drying out in some areas that I'm aware. And we're going to dry out this week with the temperatures, but next week we get a little better. Um, but the question becomes in. Do we have a normal end of the growing season, and that's what you got to count on? Or do we end up with a year like 2009, for example, where well, what seemed like Christmas Day before we ever had a frost? You know, so we've got to work with the weather as we go through time because we can't look at weather into the fall other than we know where normal is, and it does put the crop at risk. The August crop report numbers coming up. It's a Monday release this time, as I recall. How big a deal will that be? And then before the market immediately then says, hey, whoop, let's check the forecast. We see this often with, with summer crop estimates. You know, the, the August report's even more interesting this year 
because this year we have no pot, no data that's going to become from the uh, pots in the country. Not the till September. yield sampling, right. So it's purely going to be a farmer survey. So it's going to be a matter of what farmers think about the crop. And the one thing I've started to look at a little bit here, and I really haven't defined well yet, looking at those crop condition rating numbers and trying to come up, how do they compare to the August USDA crop estimate? I wish I had the breakdown of their two models, but I don't. Nobody does. Uh, but I think it's going to be a matter of what did we learn there? And it's going to be what farmers think. Always good to talk to you, sir. We appreciate your input. Dale Durkholz, Grain Cycles. Grain Cycles. Watch for him. He tweets. As we look at closing prices in the grain market this week, we find that uh, it was a pretty green screen today. Higher prices, some fairly strong across the board. The December wheat contract gained eight and a quarter cents a bushel. It'll start the week Monday at five thirteen and a half. December corn up seven and a quarter cents today, starting next Monday at four dollars thirty-five and three quarter cents a bushel. Soybeans, the big gainer today in the grain market, November soybeans up 20 and a quarter cents. It will start the week at $9.19 and a quarter cents. Then as we check livestock futures, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, we find that uh, there the hog market traded higher today. The October lean hog contract gained $2.32 a hundredweight. It'll start the week at $78.92. The October live cattle contract, up just $0.10 for the day. It'll start the week at $108.50. And the October feeder cattle contract, up just a nickel at $140 a hundredweight. Well, it's county fair season. We hope you'll get out to attend your local county fair because we want to see that slice of Americana continuing to exist for decades. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson saying thank you for joining us on The Markets.